Welcome to Noble Warrior Life. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about purpose-driven organizations. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can take everything that you learned here and go out and create your purpose-driven companies. My name is CK Lin. I'm a medical engineer, UCLA PhD, turned startup founding team that went from idea to 200 plus uh, people in the company that turned executive coach, helping founders and entrepreneurs focusing on their mindset and their culture. My next guest is the co-founder of 15.5, where they support HR executives with data-driven continuous performance management. He is also a coach helping tech and social entrepreneurs to create new levels of high performance, productivity, and organizational health. Please welcome Shane Metcalf. CK, thanks for having me, man. Really good to be here. And I also love that we're live. There's something about a live broadcast that's just, uh, I don't know, it's a little more exciting than being recorded and published later. Thank you so much for being here, Shane. Really, really appreciate you. I love live. It adds a little bit more of a, a danger, right? So we're kind of, you know, walking across the cliff without a net, so to speak. But Which is great because, you know, what I like about that is that everything's always dangerous, but we numb ourselves into thinking that we're in safety. And yet mm. we're on this little one by one platform, a thousand feet up in the air. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. death on all sides is the reality. Well, one thing I noticed when I was watching your social media videos and the way you present yourself, one thing that comes through very clearly to me is how much you care about people, you know, that you have that heart, you wanted to empower them and support them. And I see that you've taken your coaching career and turned that into a software product such that you can scale and serve more people. Can you tell us a little bit about where did that impetus, that impulse, that desire to serve coming from? Is that always been there or is it more of a, a cultivated superpower that you have developed over time? Yeah. I, I mean, I, you think that there's a lot that I don't know, you know, there's so much of mystery around how we end up the way that we actually end up, but if, I can definitely trace it back to early childhood, you know, particularly high school. I had a really interesting high school called Chamisa Mesa High School in Taos, New Mexico, where I grew up. And the, the principal used to design colleges with Buckminster Fuller. And so he baked in a ton of these really weird, crazy ideas from Bucky Fuller, also based it on integral theory, Ken Wilber's work. And so kind of designed the curriculum on integral philosophy. And so at a young age, I was getting bombarded with all these crazy ideas about how do you actually have a human being progress up levels of development? Mm. How do you not just focus on, let's say, cognitive development, but interpersonal development? How do you cultivate the interiority of yourself as a human being such that you can then build external systems that are reflective of that stage of consciousness? I love that. So, so I think that my brain started getting mutated from a young age around, around these concepts and ideas, and then it played out in a really weird, eh, completely non-linear career path. Hmm. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't groomed of like, yeah, you're going to go to an Ivy League college and then you're going to have this career. I, I had a very different kind of upbringing. Hmm. And 
and I think that that pursuit of transformational work, of, of transcendence, of development from a young age led me to a place where, okay, cool. Well, what do you do when you collect all these tools? What do you do when you start to learn, wow, there's simple communication patterns that can make all the difference in relationships. There's mm. certain ways of operating in the world that can get you more of what you want. You can think about life in a more holistic capacity and make sure that you're not just excelling in your career, but deeply compromised in your heart. Mm. And so once I had done all of that work, it was like, well, what do you do with that? You become a coach. So quick, quick interjection, actually. So there's so many things I want to ask you about. Do your high school classmates, most of them become coaches, giving their earlier phases of enlightenment period? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> New Mexico is a tricky place. Not many of us who grew up in New Mexico leave New Mexico. Like there's economic conditions. There's the, like New Mexico is a crazy cool place already. And so there is an amazing place to stay because it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet, in my opinion. Mm. But no, I don't think that many, many of us who grew up in, there and went to my high school necessarily became coaches. I think that that mm. experience all shaped us in mm. really powerful ways and gave us certain orientations towards life. Mm. But as far as I know, I'm one of the outliers. There were also mm. like 13 people in my graduating class. So it's not mm. like a huge sample size. It was a tiny school. I asked that question half being facetious, but half serious because in the work that we do, the transformational work, sometimes I, I wonder if it's actually making a difference for people. Is it actually making their life a little bit easier? Because if I zoom out, actually looking at the human journey from birth to uh, young adulthood to adulthood to, to being old and then ultimately complete their phase in this realm, it's going to be a roller coaster, right? No matter what, right? So if we give them tools such that they can see the entire map, my hope is that it will help them navigate things a little bit easier so they don't go into an, an abyss or become so uh, arrogant as I did when I was younger, right? I am curious to you know your point of view as a coach, now as a co-founder, also as someone who, who's been given the gift of transformational tools at such a young age. What do you feel now reflecting back on your life from young adulthood to adulthood to where you're doing right now? Well, look, we all have our own path, mm -hmm. you know, and more and more and more, I realize you can, you can influence a little bit. You can kind of provide some guidance and some frameworks, but ultimately each person has to walk their own path. Mm -hmm. And the Adya Shanti, really great teacher, meditation, mm -hmm. Zen teacher says something that, that really always stuck with me that until you give the world its freedom, mm -hmm. you'll never be free. Oh, interesting. Say more about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? So as somebody that I think a younger versions of myself was really gung ho to try to change the world and change mm -hmm. people and influence everybody around me and mm -hmm. optimize everyone around me and mm -hmm. tell my parents how they should be taking mm -hmm. better care of themselves and mm -hmm. got to quit smoking dad and, mm -hmm. you know, all these things that 
used to kind of drive me a little crazy because it was like, look, you guys need to be doing better. You need to do change these things about your life. You need to, mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. do this writing exercise, take this mm -hmm. workshop. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. You know, yeah, a smile of recognition, by the way, just so that, yeah. you know, yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's something really beautiful about that. There's something, mm -hmm. I think, very powerful about being a stand for other people's greatness mm -hmm. and not, not settling for other people living a mediocre life. Mm -hmm. But there's a big shadow of that as well, which mm -hmm. is that I'm getting in, the, I'm thinking that I know what somebody's own path is. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to exert some kind of control and that mm -hmm. that is guaranteed rooted in some of my own shadow of inadequacy, mm -hmm. some of my sense of not being enough. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to try to control other people, you know, all dictators, all tyrants at some level feel inadequate. And so part of the journey is realizing like, well, shit, I know way less than I thought I knew all of my transformational and enlightened experiences and the, the countless peak experiences I've had in my life, they come and they go mm -hmm. and hopefully some wisdom remains from them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But here I am. Oh, whoa. I am, I am still at the bottom reaches of the mountain. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd climb to the top and holy shit. Boy, was I naive. Mm -hmm. There's a one of my favorite poems that I think expresses this really well. This guy, Jed McKenna, that if you haven't read the Enlightenment trilogy, it, it, it's a disclaimer. They're intense books. They kind of screw up your spiritual path in a good way, hopefully, mm -hmm. but sometimes they burn the house down too. As all transformational work should do in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's this beautiful poem called Open Sky, and it goes... If you are not amazed by how naive you were yesterday, you're standing still. Mm. If you're not terrified of the next step, your eyes are closed. Mm. If you're standing still and your eyes are closed, then you're only dreaming that you're awake. Mm. A caged bird and an open sky. Mm. And, and what I love about that is that we need to, I don't need to control the world. I need to, I need to, own my own path. I need to walk my path. I need to mind my business. And in that, there's a little bit of letting go of control of other people, understanding that we all have a unique path. And I do not actually know what is best for each person. Because if I try to prevent somebody from going into the abyss, mm -hmm. from going down, you know what? Maybe that life cycle that they're on is that life is bringing them, they are on the down escalator. Life is bringing them down into a death experience so that they can actually be reborn. Mm -hmm. But what most of us do is we spend most of our lives running up the down escalator. No, 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 I don't want to go down. I don't want to go down there. I don't want to go down there. I don't want to go down there. And, it, it, and it's inevitable. We're only delaying it. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we actually surrender control and let go, and everything goes dark, that's pretty much guaranteed the very thing that is, is the catalyst for our evolution. Mm -hmm. And then what's fascinating is how do we take these experiences and these, you know, because the, as a 
as a founder, as a business executive with a very rich life outside of the office that mm -hmm. I really pursued the depths of consciousness. I've plumbed these practices. I am not a workaholic. I'm not somebody that just only works and finds no other purpose in life. But how do you translate some of the insights, some of these principles into effective functional business systems mm -hmm. and processes? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of, that's what I've found really fascinating is like, how do we, how do we build better, healthier, higher performing organizations rooted in some of these principles that I'm gathering from the more esoteric, spiritual, and tangible worlds mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. do it in a way that it doesn't come off as I'm just creating a cult or I'm feeding a bunch of new age bullshit into my company, but that are actual systems that help people live lives that they're proud of. So pause on for, for a moment. There's so many <laughs> different nuances and layers I can, I can double down on. So I'll, I'll share my experience with you and then you can see where we can go from there. Part of my own journey is hope that by knowing the tools, by knowing the framework, my life will be easier. It doesn't get easier. It's just a little bit more psychological safety, a little bit more awareness, a little bit more faith, right? But the experience where in the, in the, in the abyss or on the highest of highs still, you go through that roller coaster, right? Still. And. And what I realized as a, as a facilitator, as a guide, as a coach, as a Sherpa, what you said is so beautiful is in the beginning of my days, it was more of a holier than thou, you sh should do this. Let me impose my point of view on you. And these days for me is actually more of an integralist. Ken Wilber's model, uh, everyone's at where they're at. Let me just meet them where they're at, whatever they need, whatever they want help with. It's, that's what I provide for them. That's kind of where my own evolution as a, as a coach would that, is that a good recap of what you share? Yeah, totally. Right. Because, and, and, and I love the, that feeling of superiority, you know, like, oh, you haven't done the landmark forum. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, you haven't, you've never drunk ayahuasca. Wow. Okay. Right, right. You're obviously spiritually unevolved yeah, right, right, right. and the arrogance that comes <laughs> along with transformation right the the pride that can carry itself like you know and pride is one of those that like vanity mm -hmm. that arrogance can mm -hmm. follow us to the very heights of consciousness mm -hmm. and and that's why i think a lot of you know these spiritual teachers and these these transformational leaders mm -hmm. end up going down in flames mm -hmm. because they don't actually w realize that they're just as full of shit as everybody else. And it's all mm -hmm. just a sea of consciousness and energy mm -hmm. and there is nobody that is better or worse than anybody else. Yes. And, and so I think that it is that journey of then. And, and when you start to kind of come off your own transformational high horse mm -hmm. and you realize that living a simple life in the suburbs and having kids and working a job and, drinking some beer and watching some TV is just as valid and beautiful of a life as being a nomadic entrepreneur that goes and works out of the most beautiful locations on the planet. And, you know, so it's recognizing that it's all good. Like everyone is good. And from there, we can meet people where they're at. We can 
serve people where they're at, not from our place of needing that affirmation that we're better mm -hmm. than other people. Mm -hmm. We remind that, oh yeah, I'm so much farther along than you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to show you how much farther along I am as mm -hmm. a way of affirming my own value. Mm -hmm. um, because then it's, that's not actually service. That's not actually coming from a place of, of love. I think it's okay. Right. So let's go down that path for, for, for a moment, because that's the place from my heart and we want to be of contribution and service. So what is service? Let's talk about that a little bit. I don't know. I mean, service is kind of entertainment. It's, it's like, you know, because there's, there's a way of saying, Hey, look, I'm going to build a company where people feel deeply psychologically safe where mm -hmm. we share our human experience, where we can show up at work and know that we're valued for being a human being as well as for our productivity and our contribution. But then that, mm -hmm. that inherently you're valuable because you are alive mm -hmm. and that have you feel that have you actually get that it's okay to be who you are and to feel what you feel mm -hmm. we can integrate emotions and we can integrate these things into our, our work life. And so I feel like that to me is kind of like service. Like I feel genuinely like building a company where these principles of love, of connection, of being seen is, is service to everybody that touches our company. Mm. And simultaneously, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of entertainment. It's kind of saying, Hey, well, I think this is a more entertaining way of doing life. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily better. It's not better than, than, uh, another company that is, has a more fear driven culture and internal competition. That's mm -hmm. how I like to play. You know, yeah. like a lot of how I've designed the company is because I never wanted to work at a fucking company. I never wanted a job. I actively avoided a career. Mm -hmm. You know, coaching was like, was almost more of a last ditch effort because it was like, I had all these tools. I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a good way to make some money without actually working and without really having a job. And, oh, I actually like it. I genuinely love, and I feel like it uses my strengths, but it was, it was still a bit of a pursuit to avoid having a job. Mm -hmm. And, and then it was like, okay, whoa, I'm starting this company and, and have been given this opportunity because it kind of found me, you know, yeah, I didn't, actually I didn't go out and say, Hey, I'm starting this company. You know, my co-founder, we met and he was like, dude, come help me with this. I was like, yeah, yeah. Talk about that a little bit. If we were to watch that movie during those micro moments, how did you go from a, a roaming coach to, you know, actually being a parent of a company, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, cold showers. <laughs> I, I shit you not. Um, Say more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So fun story. Hey, so David Hassel, my co-founder, amazing guy. And we'd met through his ex-partner and uh, mother of his child and my godchild, actually. He asked me to be uh, the godparent, deep honor there. But so we met, we had tea. And so I was a full-time coach at that time. And I, I was really into cold showers, still am. And a body weight trainer, this guy, Mark Lauren, who came out with an app called Yayog or you are your own gym. And he used to be a special ops trainer for the military and training special operations forces, how to stay extremely strong using only body weight. 
Mm. And I was really into those two things. And the way I express my love is I love sharing my resources. Like I've, I've, I've squirreled away all kinds of things. Like one of my superpowers is I can tell people the next book that's going to change their life. Mm. Uh, I can talk to somebody for a couple of minutes and make three book recommendations. And one of those books is going to make a big impact. Mm. And, and so that's just kind of like how I love doing that in relationship. And so we met for tea and I basically told him about, oh, you got to do cold showers and you got to try this app called you are your own gym. And he goes and starts doing cold showers is like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And does the body weight training and is like, oh my God, this is an incredible app. It's an incredible process. That Shane guy must, must know what he's talking about. And so I was, I was doing a webinar called supercharged, how to, how to use energy management versus time management, essentially for entrepreneurs to have more energy to lead their companies. And it was a, so I was doing this webinar and I call up David. I'm like, Hey David, I'd love to get you involved in this and have you, you know, if you can share with your network and he's like, yeah, that's great. And so he's, he's, you know, asking me about the webinar. And then I ask him, how can I help you? What do you need? And he says, Oh, well, that's actually great. I just came out of one of my mastermind groups. And so literally yesterday I got on stage at the launch conference, Jason Calcanis's launch conference and publicly launched 15.5. He'd been working on it for about 18 months and they had an MVP and got on stage and, you know, basically publicly launched 15.5 and they got more attention you know, David Sachs, founder of Yammer, invested $10,000 on, on stage. And all of a sudden there is attention and he was like, oh God. And so I'm like, what do you need? And he says, well, all these people are signing up for the product and all these executives. And I need somebody to coach all these executives on leveraging the product. Mm. And I'm hearing that. And he kind of describes what he's looking for and everything he says, I'm like, oh shit, that's me. Oh mm. shit. That's me. Like, Oh, that's, that sounds like that's, that's exactly what I do. So there's a little bit of inner resistance to. Well, yeah, but it was really interesting because there was, mm -hmm. there was very clearly two roads opening up. Mm -hmm. There was, I can go left or I can go right. Mm -hmm. And if I go left, it's be humble. Don't, you know, be self-promoting. I say, yeah, great. I'll think about if anybody I know is a good fit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I clearly saw that path. And then the other path was throw your hat in the ring. That sounds exactly like what you're doing. And it's is amazing. This is an incredible person and interesting possibility here. And so I uh, threw my hat in the ring. And three days later, we were working together. And so, so what's really, and again, this is also like a, an unconventional story because I wasn't a co-founder at first. Mm -hmm. I, I helped him build 15, five or, you know, about nine years old. And for the first three years, I was just an employee and I fell in love with it. And I started mm -hmm. bringing all of these frameworks, all of these models, these tools that I'd picked up in my, in the kind of underground transformational world that I'd spent so much time in. Mm -hmm. And I started being like, Oh, Hey, what if I try this experiment? What if I do this cultural 
experiment? What if we run this intimacy exercise? With so, pause, so, so pause for a moment before you go down that path just before too long. So it feels more like a, essentially it was a dating process. You didn't go right into you know love on first sight. Let's get married first date like that. It was a gradual first date, second date, well, coffee date, first date, second date, third date, et cetera. Is that, is that an accurate Absolutely. metaphor to that? Yeah, sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it was interesting because it was, it was both a process of seeing, wow, this is a really incredible opportunity. You know, I'm, sometimes I feel a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome because mm -hmm. I'm, I, I'm not the like, yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I've done three SaaS businesses and this is my, this is what I do. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, I feel like an accidental founder. Mm -hmm. Like life just swept me into this. You're, you're the reluctant said, founder. Yes. The reluctant founder. Yeah. 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 And, and so three years in to this, mm -hmm. we're having a conversation and David says, look, Shane, if I had a time machine, I would go back in time and I would make you an equal co-founder with our other mm -hmm. co-founder, just three of us. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, it's, it's kind of crazy. And so he says, so I'm building a time machine and you're now a co-founder with equal equity. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind mm -hmm. because all I was doing was saying, hey, let me... Let me contribute. Let me be of as much service as I can to this because I see an opportunity to give some gifts and to move from, you know, and I love coaching because you can make such powerful impact one-on-one. -on -one. Right. A deep, you know, transformational path. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And this was an opportunity to scale it, to have leveraged impact, mm -hmm. have exponential impact. Mm -hmm. and, and I really, there was something very attractive about that for me. Mm -hmm. And so, so David, Chris and me is a, is a true co-founder. That's and awesome. That was like five years ago. And I mean, you know, that, that just doesn't happen in Silicon Valley. You know, people don't just give away those, that large of chunk of equity if they don't have to. And mm -hmm. it, it really speaks to the character of this man. Say more about that. Actually, if you don't mind, say more about that. Yeah, sure. Again, going back to that journey in the first three years, let's talk about it from a few different points of view. One is, who are they such that they are willing to do a very unconventional thing, which is to bring in a third partner at a later date, right? So describe who they are first. I want to make sure that people are hearing this such that they, if they resonate with what you're sharing, they can then now point to like, oh, okay, you know, what Shane does describe. So if you can yeah. describe the attributes, the characteristics of these people, that would be really amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, that he's one of the more virtuous humans I know. He's mm -hmm. very principled. He, mm -hmm. he is clear about what his values are mm -hmm. and he lives by them. Mm -hmm. He, you know, and it's interesting too, because we all have our own unique makeup. Like, I don't know if you know the Gene Keys. The Gene Keys is probably my favorite map of consciousness. Really? And what's really interesting about it is, yeah, it, it, for me, it blows every other system out of the water. And okay. Theory, human design, all, all of it, for me, pale in comparison to the value that, and insight that I get from the Gene Keys. Interesting. Uh, 
And, you know, and, and fun little side story is I reinvented my, my role inside of 15.5 based on my hologenetic profile. Mm. I'm looking at what are the unique archetypes imprinted on, on my system. Mm-hmm. And then how do I use that to reinvent my work in my role mm-hmm. and come into alignment with what I'm really supposed to do here. But so even if you look at like David's gene key profile, for instance, mm-hmm. it's all there. It all makes perfect sense. Like virtue and empathy are two of his, his prime gifts. And, and so I think that, you know, forgetting all the gene keys stuff, he is somebody who also discovered the transformational path. Mm-hmm. Somebody who in, started to engage in the work of self-actualization, mm-hmm. got tastes of what it is to live a life where you're operating not out of, of self-preservation and survival, but out of contribution and service. And so I think that that is one of the foundational elements that really work for our partnership is that we speak a lot of the same language. We have some of the same maps of what does it mean to take that journey to become your best self? Mm. I want to underline those things that you just said. So for the people who are listening, what Shane just said is speaking the same language, have the same map of consciousness. So I just wanted to underline that. So So then what kind of actions did you identify to say Hey, David actually embodies what he's preaching. He is a principal person versus just talking some empty words. Was there any specific thing that you saw that really moved you in a particular way? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of them. Some of it is, you know, just, you know, for instance, like how we're navigating COVID right now Mm -hmm. and the determination to keep everybody in the company and not to do layoffs. Mm-hmm. and his fierce stand around that mm-hmm. there's you know to the saying hey shane you're making invaluable contributions to this company and you have you have from day one you have had the mindset as a founder and ownership of this company and i'm gonna i'm going to recognize that and sit and actually officially making you mm-hmm. a co-founder mm-hmm. you know because who we are is what we do mm-hmm. it's it's our actions that matter our, our mm-hmm. words, our value statements, our core values, those can all be good words. But do we actually do it? Do we actually, mm-hmm. when it's tough, do we actually make the hard call to stick with our principles? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the, to everything from just the vulnerability and honesty of, you know, it's, those are, we've baked a lot of opportunities for vulnerability into our culture. And his willingness mm. to show up in front of people and be real and and reveal the things he struggles with. Mm. Do you mind sharing some specific rituals or practices that you guys do? Because I wanted to not just, you know, for the people listening, not just be inspired like, oh, I wish my company had that, but they can actually go out and duplicate maybe some of these practices. So, you know, if we take the premise that it's possible to build socially connected and thriving cultures in a remote, in a remote world. You know, we've been remote since day one mm-hmm. and it's something we're talking a lot about right now because for us pandemic hit, we uh, took people out of our main hubs in San Francisco, New York and North Carolina, but we didn't miss a beat because we were already a remote first company. 
and we'd already built this award-winning culture on a completely distributed model, even though we had hubs. And so one of the ways that we think about doing this is that because, because we were remote first, we said, Hey, we need to be even more deliberate about how do we build culture and connection. And so one of the, the kind of things that we do, one of the rituals that we have is every Friday, we hop on a, a zoom call. We call it question Friday. And there's a question leader for the month. And that person, every Friday, their job is to come up with a question that inspires introspection and reflection and storytelling from our, from our lives. I love that. And then we all get on the call and the person asks the question. And then we, we used to all, before we were hit about 60 people, we all did it on the same call. But now we break into Zoom rooms and we go around and we answer. So this morning was super fun. The question was, if you could, uh, like, if you had to give a 30 minute presentation on the spot on any topic, what would it be? Not mm -hmm. business related, mm -hmm. not related to your work. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool because you hear about these people's passions. You mm -hmm. hear about, you know, this, this guy who loves building his own custom camper van. And he's like, I would do that. You know, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I want to do it. I would do a 30 minute presentation on the gene keys. And mm -hmm pottery and cats and you know you learn more about each other and so the, but the questions you change the question you change completely change the conversation and mm -hmm. so it it varies from more superficial lighthearted questions to deeper ones of what did you struggle with as a teenager mm -hmm. or what are you struggling with right now mm -hmm. or you know what like what what traits of your parents that you don't like have you inherited mm -hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden people are sharing these incredible stories. And so we do that every single week and wow. it's super fun because it's, it's building community. It's the communitization of the enterprise business was just business and your life was outside of business and it's all coming together. It's all merging. It's all integrating. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Business. And then, you know, and then we go deeper. We do like, you know, biannual leadership retreats where we get together and we treat those as transformational retreats and we go super deep on those. And usually every, every dinner we do uh, table questions and, you know, pretty much every, pretty much a hundred percent hit rate of somebody's going to cry. Actually, on, on that note, I'm curious, given that you have a, a very wide range of tools, you know, toolkits that you have, you can go super deep with a tool, let's say like an ayahuasca versus, or 5-MEO, right, versus, you know, something like a, 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 sing, a simple question to open up as an icebreaker. You know, you can do a variety of things. How much, when you gauge the toolkit that you have and in, in, in to cultivate or create your next leadership retreat, as an example, what is the rubric going on in your mind in really choosing the right tool to have the outcome that you're looking for? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because especially as the company's grown, you know, we're 200 people now. And so you, need, you do need to be attuned to where people are at. If you, if you, you know, one, one step further than where they are is good. Three steps, you're in tricky water mm -hmm. it can, and it can really backfire. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, and, and I would say this is one of my biggest challenges as a chief culture officer. How do you create a transformational culture mm -hmm. for 200 people who are coming from uh, not just a lot of diversity of experience and different backgrounds, but we are, you know, because we're not just Bay Area, which may be a little easier, right? My, if we were all 200 people in the Bay Area, there's a certain level of exposure to some of these ideas. But mm -hmm. we're Bay Area, New York City, Raleigh, North Carolina, very different cultural backgrounds coming in from there. Uh, Ukraine, Poland, UK, Netherlands, Spain, Portugal, mm. uh, Kentucky, Wyoming, Montana. So all of these different cultures, all these different backgrounds, all these different worldviews and weaving a cohesive experience that not going to make everybody happy. Mm -hmm. Impossible. I've given up on that one. I realize that's a fool's errand. Try yep. to make everyone happy. You, when you try to make everyone happy, you make, you, you make no one happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, while also optimizing for safety and security for as many people as you can while pushing people well clear of their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, like to tell a little story about how this kind of shows up in reality for me is so every year and we might take a pause for take a break, but every year, historically, we get everybody together for a company wide retreat because being distributed that that week together in person is, is just pure gold. And I really think of the, this is in a business offsite. This is a transformational retreat to help mm -hmm. you become your best self. Mm -hmm. And we try I to be explicit that. as possible in hiring around, mm -hmm. Hey, this is what we're up to as a company. So it's like, if you want just a job, mm -hmm. like this ain't really, this ain't going to be your cup of tea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that's really important because it's all about consent. It's all like saying, do you want to go on this journey of self-actualization? Because that's what we're up to as a company. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to force you into it, but we do expect some participation of you mm -hmm. not completely resisting every time we ask you to self-reflect. Mm -hmm. so, so 200 people, we uh, rent out a, a hotel in Palm Springs the Sawato hotel, actually a super funky, fun hotel. It's like number five in most Instagrammed hotel or some shit like that. Cause it's mm. all these like bright desert colors. And, and so it's cool, funky hotel. We have the whole place and we do a lot of business sessions, but we also are, I I'm bringing in a breath work facilitator, mm -hmm. you know, that does that and people are just cannot believe what 20 minutes of breathing does to their consciousness. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, holy shit, I just dissolved into oneness and God, what mm -hmm. just happened? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so that was really fun to provide that opportunity. We had Jessica, oh God, I'm blanking on her last name, who for any summiters out there, you'll, you'll know her magic of human connection workshop. Yep, definitely. Mm-hmm. And Jessica is amazing. One of my favorite facilitators of authentic relating mm -hmm. on the planet. And, and I went back and forth and this is, this is a great example because I went back and forth of, is this too edgy to bring into 
the workplace. Like I, I've already exposed my people to a lot of ideas and they're already kind of farther along on the, the transformational lexicon than most, most employees probably are. Mm -hmm. And this is still edgy. This is still eye gazing. This is mm -hmm. still, you know, sitting there holding hands and connecting. This is hugging. Oh my God. I am so freaked out about making people or having people in a workshop where they're hugging each their coworkers in a loving way. Right. Right. Oh fuck. You know, like, is this going to just be disastrous? Are we going to get sued or right, we're going to right. get creepy? Right. You know, like, ah, oh, like, God, should I do this? Should I not do this? Right. Uh, and I did it. And she came and Wednesday night, it was, it was so incredible. And mm. I would say probably about 70, 80% of people said that it was a peak experience of their life. Mm. And they still talk about it. And mm. it, was, it was just this incredible thing. And, you know, 20 or 30 percent of people were really uncomfortable mm -hmm. and some people were really triggered by it. Mm -hmm. Some people had some real feedback around it. Of course. And, and so it's this, this, you know, back to the question of, of which tool, how do you know which tool to use? How mm -hmm. do you meet people where they're at? Mm -hmm. And still challenge them. And still challenge them. Mm-hmm. Because if I just was like, okay, well, I'm never going to challenge people. All right, cool. Well, then just status quo and be as happy hour. As it's a yeah, Friday. That's yeah, it. Let's let's drink. Yeah. And have no structured communication. That's and right. All that bonding. That's right. That's right. And fuck that, man. That is not the company that I want to work for. It's not. Yeah, I feel you. It's and, a challenge. Hey. It's, and I usually go through a bit of a like vulnerability hangover from it and being like, oh my God, because I, you know, the tendency is to like hyper focus on the negative feedback of like, okay, you know, 170 people loved it and 30 people kind of hated it. All the attention goes to the 30 people that hated it. And, and I think that's good. It's like, and I've learned some more lessons around how to really safe port people into the experience, how to continue making it more, more optional, more context around what it's going to be and what you might feel, you know? So like, those are all things that, that I'm learning and growing from becoming a better leader to take people into these edgier experiences and it changed a lot of people's lives for the better. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's something that I'm being facetious when I say you're kind of like a parent, but really you are. I don't know if you're an actual parent or not, but it, you I, know, I am. I've got a four month old baby girl. Yeah. Rocking my world. Yeah. Um, so as a, as a co-founder, you're, you're the parental figures, you know, so you're responsible to take care of your people to the best of your ability and and then where is that line of nurturing versus challenging not versus nurturing and challenge them right you know giving you a particular value that you share i think the place to start was that you and all your co-founders are very self-aware you guys can actually articulate in words what is the business and what are the core values that you're cultivating and from that atomic unit of awareness, then there's trust also between the three of you because they can very easily say, 
you know, it's a little too edgy or, you know, America is a very litigious place. Let's not do you know, anything that could be misconstrued as a sexual thing. Let's not do touch. We don't want to touch that, right? But they trusted you to allow you to push that envelope. Is that an accurate reflection? And, and, and it all goes back to trust, right? Of like, of, of having those, that vulnerable trust with the people that we lead with, that we co-parent with. Yeah. Having a secure, loving attachment with the people yeah. that we're creating these large business families with yeah. is, is much bet more likely to produce success than failure. Yeah. And, I, and I'll, I'll also make it personal too. Let's use a family unit or I'm using the family unit or the business unit interchangeably because in my mind, a business unit is essentially a, a, a greater version of your family unit. Confucius said self-mastery, family, country, world, right? So everything that we see is just a bigger version of the atomic unit of self. Uh, when we were first talking, I uh, said one of my favorite lines, which is that companies are a fractal representation of the consciousness of their founders. We're and that's, right and that's it. Like that's yeah. the Confucius statement. Mm -hmm. Totally. Which is why rather than focusing on the external world, you focus on the internal world. Totally. So, and then I bring that back to my personal experiences because some founders, they are conflicted inside. They want the business to do well and they want to, and at the same, and, and, and then they have a higher level of awareness of say self-actualization. But when it's challenge, push comes to shove of like, it's a little bit too edgy, then if they haven't reconciled that internally, then it's going to express in the disagreements or arguments or bickering on the external. So what does that make sense? What I'm trying to articulate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think founders are typically more like the entrepreneurial mindset seeks out peak experiences and transformational experiences a little bit more than, than the average employee in a company, I would say. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's a broad statement and it's probably highly inaccurate, but I'll just go with it for now. Mm -hmm. And it takes emotional courage to take an experience that's impacted your life in a positive way and bring it into the company. Right. Okay. So say more about that because now you are at a place where you're no longer responsible for yourself. You're now the parent for 15.5 and you could within your capability to make let's say a five MEO or ayahuasca, let's say I just yeah, we, we play used to with... joke around that. Like the second interview is yeah. ayahuasca, you know, come drink ayahuasca with us for the second interview for the company. And you know, I mean, maybe one day. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, we're being facetious -ish, so and, and totally not right. Like, of course I would never actually do that because mm. you know what? Ayahuasca is not for everybody. It's not. So, okay. You want to offer something as an option. So it's out of their own choice to pick, but at the same time, given that you're the boss, there's already a gravitas, right? When it's offer, it's not really a free choice, so to speak, even though when the come from place, when you offer it, it is, but since giving your title and influence and gravitas, and they want to make sure that they look good to you, there's gravity towards that 
option. Does that make sense? How do you, you know? Uh, it's, a, it's a really good one. That's such an interesting <laughs> conversation because we have so many wounds of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Humanity is hierarchically wounded. Mm -hmm. You look back at the last 10,000 years and it's been people in positions of power generally exploiting position people below them. Mm -hmm. Creating cultures of of authority based on fear, not trust. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm not going to trust you because you're my leader, because you're my emperor, because you're my boss, because mm -hmm. I trust you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do what you say because I fear you and because you have the power. And and so I think that we're, we have to recognize that we're we're the inheritors of all of these patterns. You know, we're the inheritors of all of history. Like the present moment didn't just spontaneously arise of its own accord. It is a sedimentary collection of every past experience. And, and most of that is just a random kind of random collection. It's like a, a bird that goes and builds the nest out of all the cigarette butts and random pieces of plastic and twigs and everything else. And some of it's good and some of it's not good. We have a lot of beauty in our history and we have a lot of terror and trauma and pain that still lives inside of us. And so when a well-meaning founder like me makes an invitation, it's you have to understand that there is that in, inherent suspicion of authority. Mm -hmm. There's an inherent like, okay, well, shit, is my job dependent on mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And and so I think that that's part of what we need to do as organizations is we need to start healing some of that. We need to create cultures of that are built on trust. Okay. Cultures, so and and how we do that, right? Is it's right. like if the old model is like master and servant and I'm the right. boss and you're my employee. You do what I say. No question. You, you yeah. serve me. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's kind of as simple and as complex as me realizing that I work for my people. Mm -hmm. Like I am in service of them. Mm -hmm. They don't work my, the 200 people in the company, 15, five, don't work for me so that I can make a bunch of money. And, you know, like inherently I will benefit way more financially than my employees. Mm -hmm. And we don't like to talk about that. Right. We, we usually are like, Oh, let's not, let's not go there. But the truth is that like, you know, I have more equity. I will make a lot more money than they do. Mm -hmm. And all the more reason for me to make sure that like I am doing everything in my power to actually be of service to them, to, to really come from it, you know? And I mean, I think servant leadership is, is a beautiful model. We call this best self management mm -hmm. where we're actually managing in a way that people become better versions of themselves. And so when you flip that polarity of you work for me, to, oh no, I'm actually your servant. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I have an incredible executive assistant, shout out to Sydney mm -hmm. and she's amazing, but I work for her. I'm in service to her. And you know what happens? What happens? She then becomes in service to me. Like our people 
like we have a much higher retention than the average 200 person SaaS company. So I want to bring into something a little bit more concrete. So the people who want that, who want that co-creation model effectively is what you're describing to me, the way it lands for me. How do you then cultivate this? You know, how do you bring it to earth? How do you practicalize this? How do you implement this? Do you then write everything you want to write in terms of job description, in terms of a manifesto? How do you concretize it such that there's a handle to the idea, to the value that you're trying to implement? Yeah, because then like the idea, the words are cheap. It's actually, how do you actually implement this and mm -hmm. create systems and structures that really matters? And so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways, right? You know, there's, there's simply, and, and I think it does start with a mindset shift. You have to mm -hmm. start thinking differently. You have to start thinking of your people as human beings, not just resources, not just mm -hmm. numbers on a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, one of a really easy foundational thing to do is help your people become radically aligned to their strengths. Mm -hmm. So Gallup Strengths Finder via character strengths two amazing resources that you can start with immediately and you start helping people understand and awaken their strengths mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't really know what their strengths are. Mm -hmm. And so if you can start to help people like take the tests, coach them a bit, have it as an ongoing part of the conversation and then you can go further. You can do things called like job crafting, which came out of the University of Michigan, mm. which is where you start helping people actually write their own job descriptions. Mm. You start at, you start looking at people's unique strengths, their interests, and start. You know, there's everything from reinventing the current role you're doing by using your top strengths to create straight up creating new roles. Mm -hmm. Now, of course there needs to be business need. Like you can't just be like, Hey, I, I am really good at selling and I really love cotton candy. So I'm going to start selling cotton candy to all of our employees. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, eh, well, we're a feedback business. We don't need cotton candy, but so we, we have done this with a number of people internally, 15, five. And what's cool is you see the engagement and the contribution from those roles go off the charts. Mm hmm. And, and it's something that we're working on, like, how do we build then tools and software that help guide other companies through that process? So it's something that we're, we're really excited about because mm -hmm. as again, it's like, how do we do these things internally and pioneer them and prove their work and then build the software that makes it really easy and the services and the education to start bringing that awareness. So that's, that's a really good, easy one. Start having conversations, like conspiring for people's greatness is what mm -hmm. we call it. And so how do you do that? How do you do that? Something that like we would do as a, as a leadership team, we would get together often at our, our in-person retreats and we would go through our teams and we would think about what do, what do we want for this person? What do we know about this person? And like, you know, and we're always listening through like the question Friday questions, you know, of like, what do you really want in life or what's on your bucket list? And we're actually taking notes and we're paying attention to what are people's dreams and aspirations in life. And then we have these, these, we conspire for their greatness. And so we think, oh my God, like our chief of staff, this incredible woman, Stacy Hurst, who's the mom of 15.5 from day one, incredible backbone of the entire company. And like two years ago, 
she, in a question Friday, revealed that she loves driving fast. And one of her dreams was to, is to drive a race car. And I'm like, ooh. And so I filed that away. And then at this retreat in Palm Springs, I, I, I knew there was the BMW performance driving school outside of Palm Springs. And so I was like, fuck mm -hmm. yes. Okay, this is the moment. And so the last day of the retreat when everybody else is traveling home, we like basically tell her to get in the car, don't tell her what we're doing. And we bring a film crew with her and we drive her out to the BMW Performance Driving School and she spends four hours race car driving performance BMWs. How cool is that? You have a, you have a, you have a evangelist for life. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, and it's, so it's about, it's, it's that kind of thing of like, well, how do you find out what people really want in life and then help them get it? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what servant leadership is. That's what, that, what flipping the script is. Mm -hmm. I love and that. then also in times of crisis, like we're in the, in the right now of what do we, what do people really need? Mm -hmm. How can we provide more support? How can we provide more resources for mental health? How can we provide a uh, space for people to not be okay? Mm -hmm. How can we have it be okay? How can we help people actually drop into more of their grief, more of their fear and, and explore it a little bit? Not that our role as a, as a company is to be a therapist, but how can we create an environment where that's okay, where it's not taboo to talk about going to therapy? One of the thing, one of the quotes I really love, and since you do ceremony, you appreciate this, is our adversity reveals our character. You know, this our adversity multiplies our light and our shadow both right? Yeah. It gives us an opportunity to actually see how people, how do they actually live their life when it's challenged? Because it's easy when you're in Hawaii, hanging out with your buddies to say, yes, I'm committed to my values. It's another thing when you're in the middle of a hurricane, when you're cold, and then you still go out and help other people. That's like, oh, okay. So now it's the real deal. It's not because it's like a nice thing to do to impress yourself or impress others, right? So with that said, when what you share is you guys are committed to really keeping everyone on board. And at the same time, you also have additional uh, commitments to make sure that it's a safe place to share uh, your grief, you know, make sure that, you know, all these things that you're committed to people, you know, realizing their dreams and all these things, how do you then in your mind balance that or concretize that? between your also organizational business needs. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, like I think that our frame around this is that you win your business, you win the business game, which mm -hmm. let's just call it pure financial results. Yeah. By helping your people become their best selves. Yeah. It's not a, you know, oh, like you win and you can also help them grow along the way. No, yeah. this is, this can be seen as a purely selfish behavior. Okay. That helping these people live their lives and feel their feelings is ultimately going to massively benefit 15, five. Like if, if, if I want to look at it just through the financial perspective, right. Let's you know, just that, 
Right. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. average cost to replace an employee is two to four X their salary, mm -hmm. you know, employee lifetime value. It's very expensive for somebody to leave your company and to hire somebody else and train them. Mm -hmm. So if you can extend your average, your employee L ELTV is what it's called. You know, we always talk about CLTV, but ELTV mm -hmm. is equally important. So if you can extend your ELTV by two months or two years, that has profound financial implications. We, we know a lot now of, from neuroscience of when the brain is in fight or flight, the higher functioning of the creative brain doesn't work as well. We aren't as creative. We, we don't come up with innovation. And so if you have a culture of fear, mm -hmm. people's brains won't be functioning as optimally. Mm -hmm. Our brains are where all this work is happening. So it's optimizing people's performance by creating cultures of psychological safety. You know, Google did all that research of like, what is the most, what is the single most important element of a high performing team and psychological safety. So mm. it, it is very much in service to the financial interests of the company. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that like you don't, sometimes don't have to make hard decisions. Like if the economy totally shits the bed in the second half of the year and mm -hmm. we're destroyed and we need to cut costs, you know what? Like we, there's, there's a point where we can't die on the mountain. Right. And, and it's also, you know, I think a lot of people, think that this also then means that you have to be really soft and you have to like yeah. basically be like, well, we value relationships over performance. And so, you know, we're not going to fire, fire that person, even though we all know they don't really pull their weight. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, that's not it at all. It's extremely high caring and it's extremely high accountability. Yep. But it's making sure that that's a two, two way agreement that there's clarity around what performance actually means. Yep. And you can have high standards around performance and still care about people. And, and so that's, that's really, I think what we're on a mission to prove is that you will do better as a business by investing in your people and helping unlock their potential. Yeah. And if you focus purely on the financial metrics and you don't pay, you don't put the human being at the center. I love that. And by the way, when I saw the 15.5 product, when I heard David Hassel um, on a podcast years ago, when I was, you know, in charge of culture, there was a deep resonance in just the way he spoke. And I also thought the product itself was brilliant because if you think about, there's a cliche in the personal development world that says quality of your life depends on the quality of the questions that you ask. Yep. Okay. Question is such a sneaky thing. Because if I tell you, hey, Shane, believe this, your egoic self is going to say, F you, you know, I'm not going to believe whatever. I'm going to go the opposite way. But a way to inception an idea is by asking a question. It's such a like, hey, have you thought about that? Yep. No amount of egoic defense is going to be able to stop the, the, the intention of the question because that seed will then be planted. So I love that you guys are a question company. Yeah, you know, and it's... Like I trip out on this all the time because we've basically built a company, a product and a culture on questions.
Mm-hmm. You know, I think of like Question Friday and the role that that is played in our culture. Mm-hmm. The check-ins at the beginning of meetings of our mm-hmm. product, which is all question-based. Mm-hmm. You know, performance management through questions. So one of the things, so one of the things I, I, I do wanted to share is a friend and I, we had a conversation because we're all coaches, right? So if you look at a spectrum of what a, a coach or a teacher or a guy or a Sherpa could do on the one end of the spectrum is like an author, right? Here's a bunch of ideas. Good luck to you, right? There's very little commitment to the actual outcome of the readers. And then there is the opposite end of the spectrum. It'd be like a martyr, right? Let me sacrifice myself. Let me carry you on my back and then carry you to the mountaintop at your, at the cost of the martyr's sanity or physical safety. And we were wondering like, where's that line per ourselves? That was the conversation that he and I would have had. And what occurred to me from our conversation is the way to scale impact in on that on that spectrum is to provide tools such that no longer the students or the travelers is depending on the guy the sherpa or uh, you know to actually get to where they want to be so i love that you guys are providing great tools for individuals to self-reflect and actually walk their own journey on their own path you know like coming as a coach when david first really showed what, what 15.5 was up to. And I was like, wow, like I ask on a good week, I probably ask a hundred questions and ooh, wow, with this, I could ask a thousand, a hundred thousand, a million questions a week. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we are, we're probably asking a million questions a week right now. Mm-hmm. Nice. How do you then, how do you then make sure that they don't get inundated by questions or they're not overwhelmed by the number of questions that you ask? Cause question, some may say it could be very revealing, right? To be very confrontational. It's, even though our intention is not to be confrontational or probing, but it's like, shit, you know, I never thought about that question before. Like, how do you, you know, balance the, the depth by the right questions you ask, the right frequencies you ask, by the right amount of questions that you ask at scale? It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that that's, that's like, uh, it comes down to being in rapport with the people that you're asking the questions to, setting the right expectations, having agreements around this, not, not asking too many questions, you know, like in a, in a good 15, five, I think you should be limited to about five questions. You know, like some of my favorites are like, how did you feel at work this week? What's going well? Where are you stuck? What do you need help with? Maybe one random question of what I, like I always come up with a a kind of a inspired question in the middle of the week. And usually Wednesday I go in and put that in and so that I can get feedback and ideas and reflections on something that we're going through as a company. Mm. But so it, again, so it's, it's lightweight. It needs to be, it needs to be lightweight, but then those questions, you know, and then people write their answers, but then those questions can lead to really powerful conversations and they don't always have to like every week isn't, you know, every coaching session doesn't need to be a life-changing cathartic experience. Mm. If you're lucky, every, every one out of four coaching conversations is going to be that, 
And similarly, but you, but it is a habit mm -hmm. asking and reflecting introspection, introspection, looking within mm -hmm. reflection, looking mm -hmm. backwards and mm -hmm. prospection, looking forwards is a habit. And for the most part, collectively, we're not in those habits. Mm. And so the more you do it, the easier it is. Mm -hmm. And the less threatening it can become to actually pause and look at where you are, where you've been and where you're going. Mm -hmm. Let me project forward a little bit. You ask about a million questions a week or is it a month? It was just like super back of the napkin math that we're probably asking in the ballpark of a million questions a week. A week like that. So no, no, that's not that like we're asking one person a million questions. A week. Yeah. yeah I, a lot of our course, users. And I mean, overall, right. Across the different companies. Yes, I understand you, but thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> so, so having that data, what companies based on your point of view as a coach, as a fellow entrepreneur, as the steward of 155, do you see like, wow, these companies are really doing well. They're walking a path, you know, of their own business organizational transformation. Like, like it's healthy, yeah, well, it's I mean, thriving. We're not, we're, not, we're not mining our users' data. Okay. Like there's, there's a lot of the data that we just don't have access to because it's confidential. I see. And so, so we have limited insights into some of the qualitative aspects of it, you know, mm -hmm. but I will say, I just interviewed the VP of people for Spotify last mm -hmm. week, mm -hmm. um, on our podcast and mm -hmm. super, it was amazing to learn about the Spotify culture, mm -hmm. really, really interesting, really worth looking into. And one of the things that I loved was she was saying that, that it's some, a lot of that is coming from the, the, the values of Sweden. Like being a Swedish company, the the Swedish values have infused the 6,000 people in the company, even though they're well outside of Sweden now. And that, that a lot of that came down to that, that you should be able to have a life outside of work. Mm -hmm. And and I, I just love that because it's like, yeah, when did, when did we become such workaholics? When did work invade every aspect of our life? And we expected to be on all the time, especially mm -hmm. now that we're all working from home right now. Like mm -hmm. how... How can we create more space for life and not just work? Mm -hmm. I love not working. I am, I'm not a workaholic, but it's also good to, to work hard. Building companies are hard. It's a difficult thing. It requires for sure. hard work. There's so many questions I want to ask you. I'd love to do perhaps a part two at some, some time. Because one thing that I'm really committed to, if you uh, don't know it yet, is I love to use business as a vehicle to bring more transformational benefit to the world. So one thing that I love is actually helping founders align their core values to what they're really committed to and help them operationalize that into their business because then the, the ripple effect continues. So this type of conversation around consciousness, core value alignment, you know, implementing into organizations, it's my jam, right? Yeah, man. We just rolled out. Uh, so we reinvented our values. We went from 10 values to four values and we're, we're now taking it a step further. And I'm really excited. We just rolled out uh, competencies and skills associated with each of the values mm. so that people know, well, what do we actually mean by this value? Mm -hmm. 
and what are the resources to up level our competency in them. Mm -hmm. And, and so I just think it's a, it's such, such a cool way of bringing values to life. Mm -hmm. Are you writing a book coming putting everything together? So it's just such that it's a little bit more we're, transmittable. We're in some talks. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. yeah, good. I think, I think giving the questions that, you know, million questions that you guys ask across your, your users, the company that you're in conversations with the the entrepreneurs that you're coaching i think this is definitely at least for me this is something that i wanted to see in the business world even more so so props to you and all your co-founders who are walking on this path and bring this clarity to everyone that's in the workplace i, th I think we're all gonna win you know everybody everybody benefits when when business continues to move in this direction Absolutely. Because, because life is a beautiful gift and we don't want to waste it working at shitty jobs and building companies that aren't actually worthy of the sacrifice that work actually requires. We want that mm -hmm. sacrifice to be worthwhile. For sure. Actually, I want to read uh, what you wrote on your, on your social file. It says, at 15.5, we envision a world where every person has the opportunity to engage in work that's meaningful to them, working alongside people they deeply trust and respect, building towards a common and inspiring vision, and where their work not only calls out their individual greatness, but together leads to creating a world-class, high-performing company where everyone wins. I'm like, damn, I wrote that? That's pretty good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful vision. So I honor you and um, for being here. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, your story, your practices, your wisdom. I do hope that we get to see each other again on a round two. Well, listen, I really want to thank you for this because, you know, they, it's, it's interesting because there's elements of this story that I'm still not telling as publicly. And so there was, there were stories here that I was able to share for the first time. And, you know, because my own journey of being more honest about what we're really doing and what I'm doing and how I'm thinking about this, it, it, that's its own journey, right? Because it's like, oh, the business world, you know, kind of sucks and people are kind of, you know, like closed-minded and all of my own stories that I say to play a little safer. Mm -hmm. And and so thanks for creating a space where I can have the more raw, real conversation. I really appreciate it. Of course, my friend. The more you share your story, the more comfortable you feel about sharing your story. And I love the fact that you have your own podcast as well. So as a, as a host, part of the journey is you're stepping to your own power and prominence as you share more and more of your story. So I can't wait to, you know, see where everything develops from there. What, what a pleasure. I look forward to uh, doing a, maybe a part two sometime. Absolutely. My friend, I'd love to ask you more about psychedelics, ayahuasca or yeah. your burner, right? You're a burner. Uh, yep, ten ten burns. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah. So we're talking about cliffhanger for those of you interested. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, how ayahuasca, five meo, and Burning Man all shaped the culture of fifteen five. Beautiful, part two.